Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Daily Objective. Uh, today, I've got James with me. Thank you very much, James, for joining me. Um, today, we're, we're discussing the topic of the West is next, which we'll get into a little bit in just a moment. Um, we're going to start with the news update, as we've been doing pretty regularly throughout the war so far. Um, today, it's been kind of business as usual. Uh, the weekend saw a kind of flurry of activity. Um, unfortunately, there was um, some stabbings of police officers in Jerusalem in the last 24 hours, which one of the police officers has died from his wounds, unfortunately. Uh, the motivation seems to be kind of pro-Palestine motive. Um, there's been continued bombing coming in from Lebanon in the Galilee area, which saw the destruction of some cars. And I think some civilians have been caught up in that. Um, and there's been some retaliatory strikes from Israel. And this results in some negotiations with the leader of Lebanon, because obviously the fear is that the whole of Lebanon is going to get dragged into this crisis. Um, and that's something I'm really concerned about. I have some friends who live in Lebanon who are good people who aren't interested in conflict with Israel. And it's a real, it's a really worrying thing for me, to, the possibility that they're going to get brought in. Um, and aside from that, we've seen over the last weekend, um, civilians have been let out of, uh, of Gaza. And, you know, something that I, I guess I wouldn't normally accuse myself of is maybe an Anglo-American focus, whereas countries like Thailand, for example, which you maybe wouldn't consider, have said that about 100 of their citizens have actually been caught in Gaza, some of whom have been taken hostage. Um, and I think there's something we should appreciate, that there's a real global focus of this conflict, that countries around the world are getting brought in. Um, so Thailand was announcing that they're kind of working their diplomatic arm to try and get these people out. Um, and that's most of the news that we've got. So we'll move on to our main topic um, of the West is next. James, what do you have to say about this? Well, I, I, you know, as we've observed many times, we should really take uh, people at their word. And when a person is clear and repeated and uh, leaves no uh, ambiguity, room, room for uh, sort of a gray interpretation there, and that's what astonishes me, really. And someone says, let's destroy Israel, let's destroy America, and we say, well, wait a minute, let's, let's wait. is there some grounds on which we can find, uh, you know, common ground, a meet, meeting, meeting ground here and find some compromise? No, it just seems to me when someone is taking that position inherently, there's no grounds for negotiation. And they're telling you what their intentions are. And then when they follow up such statements with actions like October 7th, uh, it becomes quite plain that they mean what they say. They won't be happy till Israel is gone. Uh, from the river to the sea. And uh, anyone who says, uh, you know, all this talk about Israel being the occupying force, when of course Hamas has been the occupying force in Gaza, uh, is really just playing into that and ignoring, it's, it's a strange kind of ostrich in the, you know, head in the sand phenomenon of evasion that's going on here. They can engage in actual warfare. They can state their ultimate goals with clarity, uh, repeatedly uh, uh, making, leaving no uh, room for ambiguity, as I say, and we still don't take them at their word. We still believe that somehow it's negotiable. It, it, it is impossible to negotiate with Hamas and Hezbollah so long as they refuse to recognize Israel. It's impossible to negotiate with Iran so long as they want the destruction of the United States. I I don't see any, It's it's not like there's a lot of gray area here. Uh, but yet we continue to to go for the negotiation uh, route. I don't have to remind you that over the last 40 years, there have been numerous terrorist inc incidents, both in the United States and Europe, in fact, all over the world, 
uh, uh, where jihadists have been slaughtering innocent civilians, uh, cutting people's throats, beheading them, murdering journalists, uh, uh, shooting up uh, 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 drama Muhammad contests in Garland, Texas, you name it, uh, Charlie Hebdo. I mean, we can go on and on. The Swedes who were recently stabbed, uh, I mean, obviously the target is not just Israel. Obviously they're going to continue the jihad into the West. It is Western decadence. It is our comparative secularism. It is, in fact, civilization as we know it that is their enemy. And I'm going to put it that that bluntly. Civilization is their enemy. And so Israel is just the outpost of civilization, sort of an island of comparative civilization in a world of savage tribalism. Do you think their savage tribalism will end when they destroy that little outpost of comparative Western civilization? No. They will continue uh, on the march and um, until we address it directly. And the, in my mind, that, of course, means the United States has to confront the Islamic Republic of Iran. We've had to do that for more than 40 years, in my view, and we have failed to do so. And that has meant more and more blood spilled. Um, the chief uh inspiration and funder of Islamic terrorism has been Iran. More than that, it's psychological. You know, we can, we on our side say, well, there's a difference between Shiite and uh, Sunni, and we have to recognize, well, Iran is funding both Hamas and Hezbollah, which are on different sides of that very religious divide. There, We, we have to stop looking at it in terms of uh, the distinctions that, that that really make no difference, that absolutely make no difference. We have to get to the fundamental and we have to get to it psychologically. They have to know that we're willing to take them on. And they, and I think it is, you know, people think it's, it's an intractable problem, unsolvable. I utterly disagree. Once we try a genuine war, once we try to truly, genuinely, psychologically break the enemy here, I think that it'll be easier, say, much easier, say, than World War II. Much easier. These people are living in the Dark Ages. They're not as sophisticated as the enemies that the Allies faced in World War II, for example. Um, we can psychologically break them. We can convince them that there's no way for them to win. Uh, look at the power imbalance in Israel. Israel could, if it wanted to, do a genocide tomorrow, wipe out Gaza's population like that. So when they say genocide, occupation, obviously it's, you know, they're, uh, it's the, the very turning of the language projection. It's turning of the language upside down. So you miss what's actually going on. Uh, similarly, uh, this is not an intractable problem. These people believe that Allah rules the universe. And if they lose, Allah is telling them, you're the loser, back off. And uh, all we have to do is deliver them uh, the, the word of Allah, with uh, some convincing um, <clears throat> more than language. And I'm I'm pretty convinced that they would back off. Uh, why don't we give it a try? Yeah, there's, I completely agree with you about the, the kind of allusion you made to ostrich behavior, keep sticking your head in the sand. Um, and it's, it's confusing to me, I guess, in the sense that I don't think people to for the most part ignored the nature of ISIS, for example, a few years ago, some people did in the sense that, you know, they would say, you know, so-called Islamic, uh, Islamic State, as if they were ignoring that Islam was obviously a key motivator for these people. Um, but for the most part, people understood these are evil people who are the enemies of civilization and they need to be fought. And that wasn't contentious. They might, you know, people might try to undermine Western efforts on, in methods and in certain things like that. But at least I, I don't remember there being this kind of deliberate 
obfuscation of the nature of what ISIS was. That it's, it would have seemed, I think, too obvious to people what ISIS was. And yet Hamas, there seems to be people who don't recognize that kind of like you said, this is the, a species of the same thing. Um, there was a great phrase that Christopher Hitchens coined, um, which I think he was taking from Hannah Arendt, which has got some currency now, which is um, fascism with an Islamic face. And if you understand, and that is kind of getting at the idea, there's a fundamental kind of nationalistic, religious authoritarianism underneath these people. And that's completely opposed to the values of Western nations. And if it were to come to pass that they were to defeat Israel, which I don't think they're going to do, and I don't think is really possible. I think Israel's too strong, even it, with all the guilt that's put upon them. I don't think it's going to come to pass. But let's imagine that would, that were the case. It's only a few years ago for, in the UK, for example, that we had weekly terrorist attacks in London in 2015, 16, 17 in France and so on. And I remember what that felt like. I was I would have been 17 or 18. And it's it's a scary feeling. And it's that that's just a sliver of what's been going on in Israel for a long time. And I remember how scary that was. And the idea that Hamas wouldn't be in favor of that or the people who were perpetrating these attacks or supporting them secretly behind the scenes in the UK wouldn't be in favor of, of kind of Hamas helping these, these kind of things happen in the UK. It's just deluded and the scary thing is seeing all the support that's coming out, not only from deluded students in Western campuses here in Edinburgh, there's marches almost daily chanting, you know, from the river to the sea and so on and so forth. But it's really terrifying. And in London, especially as well. And I guess it's, it's something we really have to consider that the enemies of Western civilization is not only from Western academics who aren't from Muslim civilizations, but that, the, the Muslim the Muslim kind of threat to, to Western civilization is very large as well. And I don't want to, you know, I'm sure there are people, there are people born Muslim who feel very affronted by hearing that kind of sentiment and they kind of feel like, why are you putting it on me? But we can't ignore the fact that there are many was it Muslim groups out there who are who would like to impose a theocratic fascistic style authoritarianism on the West. And the fact that Western people who supposedly kind of subscribe to vague kind of western values who who would broadly be in favor of free speech of of individualism or something even if they cut they're not very consistent with it the fact that those people are deliberately ignoring the nature of of hamas and of the enemy out there is just shocking um do you have any thoughts why people are doing that james do you what do you view as the motivation for it well they're not thinking they're not identifying uh you, you know when someone states a contradiction flatly like that uh then obviously they're confused in their own head they haven't cleared cleared up their own head you know uh if you for example when um 9-11 happened more than 20 years ago now um uh thousands of civilians were slaughtered in new york city thousands in a suicide jihadist attack uh obviously it was religiously motivated by the nature of it you could see that it's islamicist and what happens Hamas and Hezbollah are partying in the street. The PLO, mind you, is partying in the street. There's partying in the street, streets of, of the West Bank. These people are allied. These people are connected. It's all part of the same thing. All you have to do is abstract, take the common, common features here, form our concept, form a generalization here, and it's not that difficult. It is the refusal to form that generalization. Islamic Islamicism, connecting it with Islam, finding the, the the cultural philosophical connections all the way back to the religion of Islam is a dangerous thing because then you see we're at war. What did George W. Bush, the president of the United States after 9-11 say? 
Islam is a religion of peace. We're not at war with Islam because the idea of Western civilization being at war with Islam as such was just unthinkable. My gosh, the, the, the whole Islamic world we have to take on? No. you don't. One, you don't have to, uh, as you were pointing out, there are plenty of Muslims. They're not the dominant force, though. There are plenty of Muslims. I know them. I'm, I'm related by marriage. It's a very astonishing thing. I am personally related by marriage to both Muslims and Jews <laughs> because I live in the United States where we're we, they're, they're really, you know, we're aiming for just exactly that kind of melting pot. And my family very much reflects that kind of melting pot. I know perfectly well that there are Muslims who want to live in peace and, and, want, and don't want to kill all Jews on sight and bring down West. Western civilization. Unfortunately, they're not the dominant force in the Islamic world today. The dominant force in the Islamic world, and all you have to do is look at the effect of this attack on uh, Muslim countries. From Micronesia to Morocco, what was their reaction? If they can't say, no, wait a minute, uh, obviously, well, we're Muslim, but Hamas went way too far, that was horrible. They can't do that. If they can't do that, then that tells you about the culture generally in the Islamic world today. And the, the culture generally in the Islamic world today is exactly what needs the psychological break. As I say, physically, materially, these people are not really the challenge for the West that, he, that the Nazis were, the communists were, by any means, by any, or the Jap Imperial Japanese were, by any means. On the other hand, the, the we're afraid to take on the issue. We're afraid to name the concept for its, all its parameters, because we're afraid of what that might imply. Um, but yeah, uh, that is, I'm afraid, the, the dimension of the problem. Not wanting to state the dimension of the problem does not make the problem go away or reduce its dimensions. Um, uh, it's just the ostrich's head in the sand. Uh, in fact, the more you evade, the worse the problem gets, the more you encourage. It's been appeasement. It's been appeasement that's gotten us here. Um, and so the more moderate forces, say, in Iran, a place which has a comparatively moderate uh, sector, uh, secular sector of the population, they're intimidated. They're pushed back when they try to rise up. Do they get any help from America or the West? No. And so what we've done is only encourage the very worst elements uh, in the Middle East. And our appeasement just continues to do so. And so anyone who's better in the Middle East, any better voices among uh, Muslims are intimidated, silenced, cornered, made irrelevant. Yeah. Um, just for super chats, we've got um, 99 cents from Bonnie. Thank you again, Bonnie. You've been you know, giving every day that I've been on the show recently. So thanks for the continued support. Yeah. And the nature of the problem is, I think it, it becomes existential and people people on the channel have been mentioning a lot. And I think Harry Binsman went through them kind of at length recently, um, the Hamas founding documents. And for some reason, I think, so I think that if this were put on the front, if the Hamas founding documents were put on the front page of every Western newspaper for a day, part of me feels like you could no longer ignore the problem. And yet in a sense, the whole problem is that even if it were that blatant, people would be ignoring the problem. But let's not forget people that, in the Hamas founding documents, it explicitly calls for every Muslim in the world, it's every Muslim's duty to go out and jihad struggle for the removal of Jews from the Holy Land. Um, that no Muslim should be able to rest until that's done. And it explicitly rejects a peaceful negotiation. So people who we were discussing on the channel the other day, Razi and I, um, a British journalist called Owen Jones, who said all he wants is to stop the slaughter. And that 
Um, you know, that's all he wants. He doesn't want to spot Hamas. What Hamas has done is terrible, but he's just calling, he just wants the stopping of killing of civilians. Well, there, there can be no peaceful so- solution at the behest of Hamas, and we can't forget that. Um, so the people who are saying all they want is peace, it's again, it's either sticking your head in the sand or it's it's open malice, really. There's no way you can get around it. Um, and unfortunately, we see our politicians kind of give abeyance to this by, by talking about either a ceasefire or a humanitarian pause, which is just, I guess, a short-term ceasefire. It's just the same thing, really. Um, and it's really awful seeing this kind of existential threat to the West going on, because if we if we can't recognize our enemy in the in the plain light of day, who is saying, "I am your enemy, I will destroy you," then you know what are we going to do? Now, what do they need to do or say before it convinces, before it sinks into the in the minds of the ordinary uh, uh, Brit or the ordinary American? It just hasn't sunk in the same way. If I think if for Israelis, obviously, it's a very different thing. They're used to the the rockets that have been coming now you know, year after year after year, thousands of rockets nonstop. They're living with the issue. Uh, but it would seem to me that the even just the terrorism in, that we've had experienced in the West would have, should have been enough to <laughs> sort of get the attention of Western uh, intellectuals and Western politicians and the ordinary guy on the streets of London or New York should be clued in to what the real threat is here. But I, I think is part of it is if we don't name it for what it is, we, we don't have to face it. And that's exactly it. They don't want to name the concept. That would, in fact, look, conceptual clarity here would be enough, I, I should think, would be enough to sort of dictate, the, at least we can argue about the parameters of what kind of a response there would be, but the general moral position about the response would be clear, wouldn't it? Mm. We have to do something, something has to be, steps must be taken. Now now the only debate is what steps are appropriate to take. Whereas the currently we're, we don't even, we're not even there yet. We're not even at the place where we have any kind of moral clarity where we can say, no, Islamic, like, I'm, oh gosh, I miss Hitch. You, you said it. Islamic fascism is a reality, is a reality. And until we have that kind of clarity, we're not going to have the, the, the it, was there any question, you know, as Adolf Hitler is invading Poland and then invading France, is there any question who the bad guy was? And it was that moral clarity that gave the West the ability to, look, yes, civilians are going to die. Yeah, we're going to have to wipe out Dresden and Berlin. In fact, we're going to have to wipe out Nagasaki and Hiroshima. But it was your doing. It was your doing. And the only way we're going to solve this problem is get to the root of it and pull it out by the roots. And until and unless that happens, the moral clarity that is a precondition for a decent response is simply not there. Yeah. Um, connecting to that, there was there was an interesting debate at the Oxford Union a few days ago, Um which if you know if anyone doesn't know what it is, like the Oxford Union is a great historic kind of debating hall in, in Oxford oh. University that's kind of hosted great debates throughout the centuries and is a, a kind of free speech hub, supposedly. They kind of wobbled on that in, in recent years, but historically that's what it's been. And they invited Ben Shapiro to come give a talk and naturally he was questioned a lot by the students um, about the Israel and Palestine conflict for the most part. And what was interesting about it is I think you could be, you could be easily forgiven for thinking that the students were just ignorant of the history of the conflict. And well, and they weren't. So for example, one student stood up and said to him um, that Israel is at fault because if they were giving a just response, only 
an exactly propor proportionate amount of Palestinians would be killed as Israelis, which is a bizarre perspective. And we, actually, we're talking about proportionality on the reality show next. So people want to hear about that. We'll talk about that. But um, which is bizarre. And then she said, and they would be killing civilians. And Ben Shapiro interrupted her and said, you know, you're presumably in favor of Britain having fought the Germans in World War II. And um, would you have uh, condemned Britain for having killed German civilians? And she said, but Britain didn't kill German civilians. And to, as to which the whole hall kind of booed all at once. And Ben Shapiro said, well, ask the people in Dresden, except you can't because they were firebombed to death. And yeah. And like the ignorance of an Oxford student who are meant to be the creme de la creme, smartest people, not only in the UK, in the world, to, to blank that out. And so on the one hand, I think you could see that and you could think, oh, these kids, these are just ignorant, dumb kids. And there's a way in which that's true. But that deliberate, so if you listen to, if you go watch that, people, and you listen to it, she kind of trips over herself and she kind of knows that's not true as she's saying it, but she just has to say it. I think there's a deliberate, like we were talking about, a deliberate desire to stick her head in the sand, to say something which is farcically ridiculous, that the Allies and the British especially didn't bomb civilians in World War II, which I'll just go read a history book. Like, we did, very much so. And and also, she probably considers herself left-wing. It's a it's a big kind of article of faith on the left that the bombing of Dresden was a was a bad thing. You know, it's something that gets talked about a lot. Um, so I go look at how young people are talking about this and how they have to obfuscate the fact at hand, oh, the facts of history, you know? So I, there is some confusion, I think, about these things, but often I think well, there's a kind of... You know, I think it's a sort of idealism that is completely religious on the left. And it's funny, it's among even people who would regard themselves as secular leftists, uh, there's a sort of mystical, mystical uh, moral idealism uh, that pacifism is somehow morally good. Uh, you know, people will point to Gandhi or point to Martin Luther King Jr. And they will say, look at the passive resistance and how turning the other cheek and lying down in front of the evil oppressors was the most effective response. Um, as if, as if Gandhi was not playing to the British press, as if Martin Luther King Jr. did not have the American press that he could play to. Imagine their strategies against a Hitler. Imagine their strategies against a Stalin. It wouldn't have worked. Hitler would have simply taken Gandhi to a gas chamber, and that's the last you would have heard of the Mahatma. Uh, similar, similarly, if Stalin had Martin Luther King, he would have taken him out much, much earlier than he than it was. After the first time he made a headline, the, uh, Stalin would have sent uh, Martin Luther King Jr. to a gulag, and that's the last anyone would have heard of him. And the, yeah. similarly here with these Islamicists, if we really think in our mushy-headed uh, Western uh, attitudes, oh, all we have to do is offer peace and these people, how, who wouldn't, these people don't really mean what they're saying. They All we have to do is offer the right kind of peace, turn the cheek the right way, submit the right way, let them beat us up for a little while to get it out of their system, and then it'll all be behind us. No, no, the, these people are, war is real. And war is not a game. And if you're not dealing, if, if you can't win the debate by appealing to the British populace uh, via, via the London media, or if you can't appeal to the American populace via the American media, like Gandhi and Martin Luther King did, th that kind of strategy is counterproductive. In fact, it's surrender. It's total surrender. War is hell to quote a famous American general. And you and in order to do it properly, you have to recognize that it is hell.
You have to recognize that the aggression is forcing you to use deadly force yourself. And to and if someone is holding up an innocent in front of them as a shield, it, to with, withhold the force that we need in self-defense is only to kill more babies. They're killing their own innocence. They're using, and in this case, it couldn't be more, in any case of an aggressor, it's th that way. But in this case, it's particularly clear that the headquarters is under the biggest hospital in Gaza. Hamas headquarters is under the biggest hospital in Gaza. Uh, these people are intentionally killing their own people for sheer numbers. Now, in the West's muddle-headed idea uh, idealism uh, of, of what war could and should be, they, they don't even factor in evil of that caliber. Uh, and the only way to fight evil, evil of that caliber is with decisive force. Yeah. There's a couple, you raise a couple of issues in my mind, and this relates to a couple of things that I'm going to pitch to Razi that we should do on the channel in the next few weeks. Um, one of which is the idea of kind of a history of just war theory, because the thing that's remarkable to me about this is looking at the history of the West and how we've engaged in wars and how in history, we, we've always been Christian. We've always had an altruistic ethic, and yet we haven't always engaged in war in this manner. We've never been so guilt-ridden as, as compared to any other time in our history. So so why is it that we're most like this now? And people I speak to say it's just war theory. I think we should have a little, like an in-depth look at that. But also you were talking about um, kind of airstrikes. And I think we need to do a kind of update to um, Leonard Peikoff's um, A Picture Is Not An Argument and um, how people are posting uh, the videos of airstrikes on um, Twitter and saying, you know, look, there's all these dead children. And I've seen those. And I've seen pictures from history of people who've been killed in war. And there's a way in which I think maybe the removal in time doesn't affect you quite as much. But see, and, you know, I've seen the video of mangled children, of blood on the floor, you know, of burnt bodies. It's true. It's awful. I've never felt quite as bad as seeing that. It was like being there. But it doesn't change the argument it doesn't change the facts at hand that hamas started this and that hamas is responsible for that and so i think we need to talk we need to talk a bit and we can go over uh leonard peacock's the picture is not the picture of the dead baby is horrible any decent yeah. human being is going to be horrified and disgusted and revolted and uh, of course of course that doesn't the picture doesn't tell us who caused the death of the baby or how to prevent more baby deaths yeah. that is a conceptual identification that is a purely conceptual idea. If Hamas would allow the civilians just to leave an area, which they won't. If Egypt would allow people to flee Gaza, which they won't. I mean, foreign nationals are getting out now, I understand, and more humanitarian aid is coming in. But uh, the point, though, is, is that obviously Israel is not engaged in a genocide. Obviously, Hamas is using their own civilians. So it's strange that we would use the pictures of dead Palestinian babies as something against Israel. So, no, 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 no. You, you, Hamas, you killed those Palestinian babies. That's what has to be the conceptual identification for those pictures every time they run. Otherwise, we're encouraging more baby killing. Now, you can look at the picture of the baby and say how horrifying. Then my conceptual faculty kicks in and thinks, oh, what about future babies? That's what we have to do. We have to connect the dots conceptually so that we can say, see this picture that's horrible, horrible, shocking, terrible, awful thing. Well, you want more of that? That's what Hamas is all about. That is what Hamas is causing. That is what Hamas is making inevitable. That is the only solution, really.
Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Um, and you know the the broader topic we we were starting with that that the West is next. Um, one of the things we're going to be talking about on the reality show is the fact that um, you know that Biden has sent in a nuclear submarine to the region to act as a deterrent. And I think we need to take really seriously that if we if we abandon Israel, if we were to if the moral guilt being placed on Western leaders and so on and so forth, and also that's just coming self generated by the Western leaders. Um, were to win out and we were to let Israel fight this alone, then if somehow Israel were able to be defeated, if if Iran got involved or what, um, this if would Iran got to... a nuclear weapon. Mm. Yeah. Now, to talk about a threat, not just to Israel, but to every Western country out there, obviously, um, yeah. we cannot be at the other side of a negotiation uh, talk about uh, intolerable state of negotiation. Look at the West and how it appeased a nuclear Soviet Union for decade after decade after decade. Can you imagine the appeasement that would come about if we have a nuclear armed Iran? It, uh, uh, that's the end of civilization in the area and a direct threat uh, to London and New York, as far as I can see. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, and we need to avoid that at all costs. So that's why the West is we need to care about this. So we've got to wrap up because we've gone on a bit too long. We've got the reality show starting in a minute. Um, I've spoiled it already for you guys. We're talking about proportionality and this nuclear submarine. So join us and we'll speak about that. Um, and then join us again tomorrow where we'll have uh, TDO tomorrow. I'm going to be with Gilad and we're talking about weapons and ammunition. And we'll have the reality show as well. Very Thank good. you so much for joining me, James. Thank you. Bye-bye.